You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello and welcome to another edition of Global Trade This Week. I am Doug Draper, one of your hosts. And on the other side of the coast, I always say other side, but I'm not sure if that really comes to, to, to term correctly or not, is my good friend, partner in crime, Mr. Pete Mento. Uh, Pete, how you doing, my friend? I'm good, bud. I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Yeah. It sounds like you did a little rugby action. You put your bucket hat on a second ago. Yeah, I did. I, I had the bucket hat on a few minutes ago uh, down in Maryland over the weekend to uh, watch the boy play in a sevens tournament. Uh, for the national championship, he was in the national championship tournament. A tough, tough weekend for the Golden Flyers, but he played well. His team fought bravely uh, against the elements as well as other rugby teams. I'm pretty sure that I was uh, Amy and I were going to have to build an arc at one point. It rained so hard; it was absolutely miserable here on the East mm-hmm. Coast. We didn't read about that, Doug. It was, it was terrible. But um, played hard. They uh, they did not come away with the championship. That went to uh, Mount St. Mary's, hmm. uh, kind of um, kind of an underdog team, but they they came away with it. It's funny, uh, there was a, a much mocked rugby um, personality who had picked them to win everything, mm-hmm. and they did. So um, beating some massive teams like uh, Army and uh, Kutztown and. Um, Part of you know the Midwest teams like Indianapolis, uh, Indiana, Indiana, sorry, to come out and win the whole thing. So um, it's nice to see a smaller club come and take it all. But uh, Hudson had a had a, a great show, played really hard. We're very proud of him. And nice. uh, after freshman year, to make it to the national championship tournament is a great thing. He's got three more years to go out there and prove it to everybody. So um, we'll be seeing a lot more of him in championship tournaments. Don't you worry. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, proud father and a rugby enthusiast uh, yourself. So that's cool. Always makes, yes, there you go. Makes yourself proud when your kids succeed in life. It's good. It's good feeling. Yeah. We have have lots of athletic um, moments here. Don't we Doug, you and I. Yeah. Yeah. I made the uh, uh, second time. And so I'm taking three trips to Kansas. The next one is for graduation, my son, but, Pete, I have to say, my daughter is a badass. I am so proud of her. She was out another rowing event. But better than that, my brother was out there this weekend with us. And she has, being being an athlete, she's got access to everything. So we went and saw all the cool stuff. And for for those that are listening that are hardcore basketball fans, like access to try to get into Allen Fieldhouse um, without a tour or without anything is a very difficult feat. And she's just clicking buttons and pushing secret doors open. And we were in Allen Fieldhouse by ourselves on the basketball court, hanging out, which is something that just doesn't happen. So, um, yeah, our kids are both doing well, having fun. They're happy. And uh, that's all you can ask for from a parent. So, yeah, kudos to us, Pete. (laughs) I don't know, Doug. My my, uh, my youngest had her prom this weekend. She's a typical you know, teenage girl. I don't know about if she's ever really happy. So let's not get carried away. Mm. Um, I, I was, I was talking about this. So, so Amy has the rowing bug and, um, how many people are on one of these big long boats here, Doug, that your daughter rows on? How many is that? 
I say it again. Yeah, I, I couldn't hear you. How, how many how many um, women are on these boats that your daughter rows on? So it's either four or eight. My daughter's on four the uh, the V eight boats. Um, okay. So yeah, they're uh, a lot a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, I'm just I'm in a good mood. It's warm here today. The sun is bright in Colorado, and I, I'm excited to be part of Global Trade this week. Pete, brought to you by Cap Logistics. We got to get that plug in there, right? We do, we do. Well, let's let's get to the show. Enough. Yes. So I, I have the honor of having the first topic this week, and Janet Yellen um, had some some pretty interesting words over the course of uh, the last week, where she was talking about the conscious decoupling which I think it's funny how that's become a word now in finance and trade of how the um, the offshoring of so much trade is happening right now between China and the West, that it's actually becoming a concern. So it's happening on both sides of the, of the ledger. The United States has been moving a significant enough amount of trade out of China right now uh, to uh, back to the Americas. And so much trade is moving out of China to other parts of the world from Europe that it's actually causing China to act in kind, where they're beginning to do things with regards to trade inside of their own country, where they're actually making it more difficult to, to do business in China for some of these Western companies. So they're increasing some of the regulatory um, tripwires and difficulties to do business for Western companies in China. And they're, they're making it easier for Chinese companies and easier for companies that they have closer alignments to. So think of the Cambodias, the Vietnams, um, certain Eastern European countries, the list goes on and on, and making it more difficult for these Western companies to turn a profit, maybe make their way regulatorily through the red tape of doing business in China. And the concern now has become, if we continue to escalate in this way, is it just going to make it even harder in what is a very difficult uh, environment for Western companies to succeed, to continue to succeed in China after what had been decades of us finding common ground. So um, it's hard to believe, but maybe Janet Yellen, uh, who's not really known for being the voice of reason, might very well be the voice of reason right now between two countries that are trying to find some common ground. Yeah, that's interesting. When you, when you shut that one over, it's like, uh... Uh, I'm, I can't think of a good analogy while you were talking there, Pete, but, you know, it's uh, a, a love-hate, I guess, would be the, the easiest thing, is that we need each other more than we would like to admit, right? But you always got to have the, the cover and the outward appearance, uh, or I shouldn't say appearance because that uh, rings hollow, but I don't know, it's just interesting, you know? You, you need each other to succeed, but at the same time, there's this friction that's ongoing, that is almost, um, you know, needed with the um, with the media and everything else. So interesting, yeah. and the fact that Yellen verbally, a leader, in, in <laughs> verbally made mention of that, um, yeah. we just believe that's been happening a lot longer than just her making that comment the other day. Yeah, and you know, there's two quick follow-ups to that. The first is, you wonder if she was asked to say something because, mm. you know, as you pointed out, she verbally said something she's not known to be a woman who just says things off the cuff. So most of what she does is done with intention. And then the second is there's so much bluster and, and there's, there's so much loud talk between these two countries. How much of that is really being done for just political highlights? How much of it is just soundbite ism? And um, how much of it is 
you know, under the surface, like you and I have been involved in international transportation and business our entire careers. And we know that under the surface, we've all got fantastic relationships with our Chinese businessmen mirrors on the other side of the world. And we all get along quite well. We've been doing business with people on the other side of the ocean our entire careers. And we've never had any political problems with one another, but we all get along perfectly fine. It just seems to be, you know, all these people who are screaming and yelling at one another over things that really don't concern us when it comes to dollars and cents and yen and RB and pound sterling and whatever else you want to throw in there. So it just seems like it's for their benefit, certainly not benefiting any of us. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But what you got? All right. So this one's kind of going back, not back to my roots, but is focused on my, my current, um, uh, area of focus into warehousing. And this came up with a friend I was talking to the other day. Uh, he is in a, a 3PL. Everybody knows everybody in this industry, right? And one of the things that they were aggressively moving towards is automation in the warehouse. Now, if you have a product and you insource your, uh, your warehouse services, that's been somewhat common trying to find, let me rephrase that. It hasn't been common, but it's not uncommon where the cost of robotics and the options out there to automate or semi-automate your facility uh, is coming down. But that's if you have a specific product that you can build automation around. Whereas a 3PL, you know, they could be moving large, heavy objects, smaller objects, you name it. And so it's always been challenging for, for 3PLs to create automation that's really efficient for the vast um, variety of customers and products they move from their building. Used to be labor and muscle and the we'll get it done attitude and and you know behind the scenes it's not very sophisticated. But I think what's gonna happen, Pete, is that with this automation, you're gonna find three PLs that are gonna be uber uber specific on the type of business they want. And obviously the automation is gonna be more inclined to focus on smaller, higher volume reoccurring type of shipments. And um, what, what, uh, a friend of mine's organization is, is moving towards that. And so what you're finding is that if you have a small box, the size of a, size of a bread box or a small type of uh, shipment where you're selling, I don't know, vitamins or something that has a subscription-based model where you're cranking hundreds and thousands of packages um, that are all relatively the same size and the same weight, you can insert automation pretty quickly. And you can also be laser focused and get rid of all the noise and the other types of, of products that, that that same warehouse may be going uh, and, and managing. And my whole point there, Pete, is I think that um, those warehouses that embrace the automation and want to focus on the smaller ones that are more conveyorable, if you will, um, they're going to be less of an option for other clients out there. So if you have a general commodity and you need to look at 3PLs, your choices may be limited if your product doesn't align with the automation that 3PLs are investing in. Um, And so you may have less choices or you may make a decision to insource that and handle it yourself. So my point is if there's a hundred 3PLs out there and a year ago, they would take anything and everything and try to make it work. Well, now, 25 of those 3PLs are like, forget it, we're dropping an automation and robotics, and all we want are small products that are 10 pounds or less that are in a 12 by 12 by 12 box, 
and everything else we don't have interest in doing. Well, that just reduced the capacity out there of 3PL options by 25%. And I just think as the cost of automation comes down, um, you're going to find more and more 3PLs that say, we want to get rid of the noise. We want to get and focus on things that we can be incredibly efficient with and ultimately remove some of the, the labor costs around a 3PL environment, which is what people have been talking about for years. And so I, I think it's going to be an interesting shift. It's not going to happen this year, maybe not even next year, but in the next three to five years, I think you're going to see a lot more automation and um, I mean, that's an obvious, but it's going to uber focus clients to say, I, I don't care about furniture or 50 pound boxes. I want small stuff that can hum through my building. I got one or two people in the warehouse working these robots and uh, we're very efficient, making a lot of money and having a lot of fun. So it's going to take capacity out of the market if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. it's a three to five year pro projection in my opinion, but it, I think it's going to happen. Yeah, you know, it harkens back to that old, I, for, I forget if it was FedEx or USPS or UPS. Remember that old commercial, it fits, it ships, right? Where they they had those boxes and they still do. You know, if you go to the UPS store, FedEx, they have those standardized boxes and mm -hmm. they, they do, they encourage you, you know, use our box. And um, there's this one standard rate for each of these zones, if it fits in this box. And a lot of that does come down to standardization. They know exactly how many of these boxes in these configurations fit in our containers that then are, are going to be put into certain formats that we have for these standard configurations on our aircraft, on our, on, on all these different types of over the road size capacities. And they've done an excellent job of doing that. And then you take what you just said, that next step forward and their massive warehouses that they're constantly automating and then fine tuning that automation to for a scale like that, you know, they're, they're cutting pennies into 20 p different pieces, you know, but then you get to the size operations that you and I are used to working on. They've never really been able to afford that level of automation, but that level of automation is now becoming more and more affordable because of the, mostly because of e-commerce and the, the demands for that at the Amazon level. And now that one level down to serve the Amazons of the world. And now we're getting a hold of it. Some of it's actually because of secondhand equipment, um, the cost for the parts for that equipment, and just the pervasiveness everywhere. I think mm -hmm. you're, you're absolutely right, Doug. We're going to see more and more of that. Not only are we going to see more and more of that, I think you're going to start to see some incredible innovation, not only on the hardware for it, but the software as well, that's going to make it more efficient, make it last longer and also find new and interesting ways to use it. I think that uh, I keep saying this on the show, ours is an industry of incredibly creative people. And as they get to tinker around with this more and more, they're gonna find ways to use that automation, probably the people who invented it never thought of using it for. So mm. they're gonna find ways to probably get more out of the invention, more out of the, the product than, than the people that invented it ever even considered for. So pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it'll be, yeah. it's a trend that, you know, we won't see this this year, maybe I think it's going to draw attention and 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 uh, and really increase. And the problem I just that I just described will be prevalent a couple years out, not necessarily in twenty twenty three. Probably not. Yeah. All right. Uh, that All brings right, us to halftime. Yep, to halftime. Brought to you by our friends at Cap Logistics. 
uh, to learn more about Cap Logistics, please visit them at their website at caplogistics.com. We appreciate them so much for all of their support. Without them, we wouldn't have uh, boy producer Keenan, who I would say you know, we give a lot of black to, but it's not we, it's mostly me. But without Keenan, um, the incredible things that he does, and we have technical problems like we did last week that you would never know because of his editing skills and his technology skills, he just takes care of. Um, so we really do appreciate the incredible hard work that he does to keep the show going um, and all the hard work that um, that he does to um, keep us on time and keep the show on the road. So we thank Cap Logistics and we thank our incredible engineer for all the work he does for us. Um, and this week on Halftime, you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll go first because mine's kind of, yours is more serious, I think, that we need to focus on. So, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. But uh, Pete, one thing that is officially this this happening because it is May first, you know, I'll timestamp this uh, 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 this session is that it is officially the month of Casa Bonita, right? Um, it is expected to open again this month, uh, which is a big deal. So for all of you in Colorado, definitely know Casa Bonita. Pete, you, you definitely know Casa Bonita, but for sure those do. that don't. 1974 it was a mexican restaurant there was one in oklahoma city which i didn't realize tulsa little rock and lakewood and it was a all you can eat well it's all you can eat sopapillas which is the dessert um but the food is below average at best you get a tray and they just slop it was almost like you're in prison they would just slop rice and beans and the the food was was really not good but that wasn't the point of going it was the chaos inside of the restaurant where you had cliff divers um you had um themed rooms you had magicians you had caves puppet shows just craziness and and uh it, it was awesome so if you're from colorado you remember that and you probably went with your family or a group of friends if you were in the midwest midwestern states you would always go there whenever you took your bus on a ski trip, right? Because I remember I went there on ski trips and you show up. Um, and then the folks that are on the coast probably never never even heard of it. But what happened is that it was a, uh, you know, COVID took it down. The restaurant closed. They couldn't, uh, they couldn't come back. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Trey Parker and Matt Stone uh, from South Park bought it. And there have been in the process for the last year to 18 months to uh, to redo it and everybody's wondering what's going to happen and they said probably a year ago that it was may of 23 where they were going to uh to reopen so it's starting to get a little hype nobody has a specific date yet pete um but it is going to happen in may i want to make sure everybody was aware of it and they're talking about the chaos that will ensue when they pick the date i'm sure there'll be people that will camp out um it will have a taylor swift-esque craziness surrounding it and uh and it'll be it'll be pretty amazing so this will not be the first time i talk about this in the month of may because uh cartman and the crew um uh trey parker and matt stone um they bought it and they do crazy stuff and uh, i can't wait to get in there and check it out and uh when you come out here to denver we'll make sure we go so there you go yeah doug you kind of glossed over the most important part of this you spoke a little bit about it that's how most people know what Casa Bonita is. It's from, it's from the famous South Park episode of how Cartman just wanted to go to this birthday party of a friend of his he didn't even like. 
And so he weasels his way into the birthday party to go to Casa Bonita. Yeah. And the most, most of us, I've been to Denver. I don't know how many times I've been to Colorado. Tons and tons and tons and tons. I have never been to Casa Bonita. I only know it from the South Park episodes. And then I've seen videos of the Casa Bonita. I've been by the Casa Bonita because our mutual friend, Mark Saxelby, is such a dick. He wouldn't take me to Casa Bonita, <laughs> right? So I want to go because he's like, if there's great Mexican food here, why would I take you to that dump? And I said, you don't understand, man. I need to go to, and I turn into Cartman, which should not surprise anybody because I'm basically yeah. the growing version of Cartman. I want to go to Casa Bonita. So the three of us talk about it constantly, right? Constantly. We talk about you and Keenan and I. We have to do a show from Casa. Like, I don't care if we're just sitting around the table. We have to do a show from Casa Bonita. We have to. Uh, yeah, we'll do yeah. it. All right. So my, my halftime is pretty simple. Today is May 1st. And what is May 1st? May 1st is the first day of Global Trade Month, people. It's Global Trade Month. And just very simply put, this is... Um, this is one of those things like National Ice Cream Day for most people, you know, National Golden Retriever Day or whatever. But to, to us, it's great. You know, it's it's uh, it's a full month of celebrating uh, national uh, the national love of global trade. And I'm pretty sure, Doug, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure it was invented by the World Trade Center. I'm not I'm not sure, but I, I think the World Trade Center's invented this holiday, and God bless them for it. So the World Trade Center is all over the country put on events pretty much all month. So World Trade Center Denver has their big um, their big hullabaloo starting this week. Uh, World Trade Center New York's is next week. I'll be speaking at the World Trade Center New York. I have a panel that I'm putting on. Um, I'm speaking for World Trade Day in uh, New England for at Bryan College for um, for theirs. I'm, I'm going to be on a panel there. There's World Trade Center stuff everywhere, World Trade Day. There's countless webinars countless in-person things that you can be doing, all sorts of things. So for everybody who watches the show, for all of you, seek out content this month. It's going to be recorded. There'll be things that'll be maybe online and you'll be able to watch it throughout the next following months. But this is a great month because so much information is going to be shared. So um, let's hear it for World Trade Month. Yes. Yeah. And being in Denver, the World Trade uh, uh, event is May 19th. It's a full day at the Sheridan downtown. If you go to WTCDenver.org, you can learn more about it. But great speakers, yeah. great. And I think there's supposed to be 700 people here in Colorado, oh, which huge. is pretty amazing. It's great. You guys do a good job. Karen Gerwitz, who runs your World Trade Center, is an absolute, I mean, she's a beast of a, of a, of a executive out there. She has an incredible group. Can't say enough about the hard work they do there. I will be at um, Midtown Manhattan. They're holding it at Baruch College. I'm speaking for the Port of New York and New Jersey and the World Trade Center of New York. Um, on, on a panel out there, I have the, the new port director for the Port of New York and New Jersey. I have the head of e-commerce for Marish Blinds. Um, I have the, um, the head of uh, Roanoke, their division of, um, of insurance and the... Um, the head of the chamber, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, on a panel, and I'm speaking about the digitization of logistics. So we're going to get into all kinds of things, from cybersecurity to you know, the lack of standards. It's it's going to be pretty cool as a mm -hmm. panel goes. And, uh, for the New England one at Bryant College up in Rhode Island, 
I'm going to be specifically talking about just the, the complications of regulations with regard to global trade and how they're, it's just getting even messier when all of us think it should be getting easier. So, I mean, it's a great, talking about dichotomy, you know, and, and, and that's everywhere, all over the country this month. So seek it out, yeah. folks. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Great halftime right. topic, Pete. Great halftime topic. Mm, both of them. Yeah. So uh, my, my next topic's pretty short and sweet, but I think it's, it's a little creepy. So the, the numbers are coming out. Again, it's, it's a decoupling, but this is called friendshoring. So this, this idea that countries are looking for countries that they get along with to send their business to. So not all that long ago, we saw a lot of reshoring of, of their uh, business to places like Vietnam and Cambodia, which to be quite honest, you might as well be giving American business to China because most of those facilities where the goods are being made are owned by Chinese companies. Well, now we're seeing it sent to places like Indonesia, Malaysia, Mexico, um, places where the U.S. has a vested financial interest. And I sent everyone, I believe I sent you the link to the story today. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2017, roughly three quarters of America's ocean import volume from Asia came from China. Now it's 53% in 2022. That is an incredible decrease in ocean volume from Asia. And it's getting less and less. It's very, very good for Americans who want to buy less from China. It's actually pretty bad for the ocean consumer because rates from those places are very high and they'll continue to be. The, um, the reality is that the ocean supply chain and logistics network, the vessels that were built for it, and pretty much all of our infrastructure was built for inexpensive ocean carriage from Chinese base ports to the United States. So these vessels, all the infrastructure and the way things were built were built for that purpose. So when we start to go into other parts of Asia, between the lightering barges, between the way that that bunker is sold and the way that vessels are refueled, it all drives up the prices, including the sailors, the way that ships are refitted, the way that ships are actually recruited. All of it becomes incredibly more expensive by doing it this way. So believe it or not, it actually brings an increase to the cost of operating vessels, which will in turn drive up the price of costs for the shipping. So this is a very interesting number that I will continue to watch over the course of the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, simple analogy, a flight from New York to Chicago. There's a lot of them. They're <laughs> gateways. Them. It's yeah. pretty cheap. You, you want to fly out of uh, Bozeman, Montana to New York city. It's a whole nother Avenue, you know? So I think yeah. that's a, that's the analogy I think of when, whenever you just made that comment, you're spot on. It may be cheaper over here, but the infrastructure that has been developed over decades is not there. Yeah, that's a good point, bud. Yeah, yeah. All right, bring cool. us home, pal. All right. Well, uh, more banking news out there. Uh, again, it's Monday, May 1st, and uh, over the weekend, First Republic Bank was, uh, you know, had a run. I think there was like $90 billion was pulled out of that bank in a very short amount of time. And the uh, U.S. government came in and kind of brokered a deal, and J.P. Morgan just uh, acquired the remaining hundred billion or maybe it was vice versa, but uh, they're taking over and the U.S. government kind of brokered the deal. And so it's kind of interesting. And, and the topic of this one is, is the U.S. government now the biggest bank broker for acquisitions um, in the world? And, and I think the answer in the last couple of months would be would be yes. And part of it 
is the precedent they sent they set when uh, when SBV went out and they said it doesn't matter what your holdings are with the bank we will guarantee it the 250,000 per, per depositor um, you know kind of went out the window and there's no way the government can continue to afford to guarantee that because the precedent has been set and so it behooves them to find a, a buyer pretty damn quick and facilitating the being the broker the middleman to make that happen so I don't think we're in a banking crisis trust me this is just you know Doug Draper's take on it is I don't think we're in a banking crisis but I think that the US government will intervene more and more if this happens in the future um, for selfish interests of the precedent that they have set of it doesn't matter how much money you had in the bank we'll make sure you don't you don't get burned or lose any of it so it'll be interesting and 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 hopefully this is not so commonplace that it becomes second and third page news in the newspaper and that um and we'll go from there so risky business strategies and kind of weak risk management of what these banks are doing uh, i think are kind of the two focus or, or, or two focal points and you know that'll get shored up and cleaned up and more regulation to come in there and really scrutinize what what these banks are doing but Anyway, I thought it was interesting that good old Uncle Sam's a bank broker nowadays. Yeah, a couple of quick things to talk about here. The, the first is this purchase is really nothing but upside for J.P. Morgan Chase. They, they they bought a distressed asset that they've been told there's no, nothing but positivity here. They can they're going to have all their assets covered. What do they have to lose, right? So they're buying this distressed asset that will only end up going well for them. Second of all. I think this is the second largest bank failure in history. I believe the first one was presided over by the same guy, you know, the same purchase. So this, this CEO now, you know, he's been involved in both of them. So might want to rethink that yeah. resume. Um, but you know, the, the, the sad reality here is that when you say that you're going to cover the problems of the people that are running these banks, they've got nothing to lose. So, uh, the, the only silver lining I see in this, Doug, is that the likelihood that we're going to see just a full-on run on banks. Again, it's, this is just Pete Mango speaking. It certainly is a device. Um, seems pretty low because the kinds of assets these guys were playing with, they're not pervasive across all of banking. So um, we're, we're not going to see too, too many more of these, I can't imagine. Um, but you're seeing the Fed say, do what they said that they would do. They're going to literally do whatever they have to do to keep this thing from going any farther. And that includes allowing JP Morgan Chase to go over the, the deposit limits that were set in place for something like this not to happen. So uh, it's incredible, but mm -hmm. that's where we are. Yeah, I, I have so, a feeling this will not be the only time we talk about this topic on this no, show. No, but you know, it gets me fired up and thank God it's the last one today or else I would just, but uh, that's gonna be it for our show this week. Um, as always, we want to thank all of you um, for joining us, for listening, for telling your friends, for watching the videos, listening to the podcast. We are on all podcast platforms for those of you who just want to listen to us while you're taking a walk um, or exercising or whatever the case may be. We want to thank Keenan back in the booth and all the great people at Cap Logistics for supporting this show. And we'll see you again next week for another great edition of Global Trade This Week. Thanks a lot, Don. Absolutely. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, everybody.